Blog Talk Radio. Another edition of the East West Hoop Sloop. This is our sixth episode, our sixth week of our show. And here with me, as always, from CSNNorthwest.com, our college basketball insider, Greg Crawford. Hey, good evening, Jawan. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, six, we made it to the sixth week without getting taken off the air. That's got to be a record. So I'm looking forward to it. We're going all the way through the winter, the spring, the summer, the fall. You name it, we'll be here. we got a great show tonight, I think. A lot of topics to cover. Definitely, definitely a lot of good basketball to cover from NBA to Olympics to even, a, even to some college basketball, which you will definitely have a lot on. Yes, I'm going to bring up some rule changes that I want to see happen in college basketball that are long overdue, but um, we'll talk about those a little bit later. But I think we're going to get started uh, we're going to break down uh, this coming year's teams of the cities that we live in, you in Philadelphia and myself here in Portland, Oregon. So how are those Sixers looking this coming year? Well, the Sixers for this coming year is going to be a very different team than from last year. A lot of turnover. You don't have the veteran leadership presence of Ellen Brand, who was, who was picked up by the Mavericks. You don't have... Lou Williams anymore on this team. So it's definitely a different change, different turnaround, because Lou Williams brought that element that he'll take the last shot, he'll put the team on his back in a certain way. But it's going to definitely be some change. I think this team has gotten more athletic with the signings of Darrell Wright, who came from Golden State via trade, and also with the likes of signing Nick Young to a one-year deal straight out of L.A., who is better shooter than Lou Williams. So I think you're going to see a more athletic team. Their Sixers are very forward-heavy with the likes of Iguodala, Thad Young, Darrell Wright, Nick Young playing at the forward position. And also they did sign backup guard Royal Ivy as their backup point guard, so he probably be the backup point guard of Drew Holiday. And the Sixers also signed today out of Villanova, Malik Wayans. They signed him to a deal. So he probably will be making his team as another point guard or shooting guard. So it's going to be a lot of turnaround. They should be more athletic than they were this year. The key is for them defense. And they're moving towards a way that they probably want to hit free agency hard in 2013 because they have a, they have a lot of one-year contracts. Javon, I want to ask you, is Doug Collins pretty well thought of uh, in Philadelphia? And the second part of my question is, is this a team, kind of a style that he wants 
or as you alluded to in your last sentence there, you think this is a year they're going to try and get through and want to make the playoffs and make some noise, and then next year is going to be the big-time move forward? I think that this is the kind of team that he wants, a team with shooters, scores, but also able to teach them with defense. I think this is the kind of team where he wants to really show defense in all of the above. I think that's what he really wants to do, go with a whole defensive presence because that's what Doug has done over the years he's been here, try to put defense and if you try to press hard on defense, if you get good defense, then you'll be able to run up and down the court where the athleticism will show up. I don't think, as of right now, as of right now the Raptors constructed. It doesn't look like they can make a deep run to playoffs like they did last year. And I think that they'll make a big, heavy run in free agency in 2013 because they have a lot of players on one-year deals. So that's what I Very think. interesting. Very interesting. Is the is the fan base still there? Are people clamoring for a winner? Are they going to show up with a winning team? And I know you've got some new management last year, uh, and that seems to be some people that really care about basketball. Yeah, Josh Harris and Adam Aaron. Adam Aaron. Adam Aaron, the one of the CEOs, the part time, one of the part owners. He's. He's a big. He's been very big in helping building his team back with promotions and the t- cutting the ticket prices, which brought a lot of fans back. Then bringing Allen Iverson back for the playoffs that was big in that playoff series versus Boston, bringing him out. They did a lot of creative things to bring this fan base back. But I don't know if the fan base will be back as big as it was this year, just because he didn't see a lot of moves that they wanted to be done. The many Sixers fans wanted to see the likes of Spencer Hall's going or see the likes of Andre Iguodala going. But many Sixers fans didn't want to see Lou Williams going. So it's a a conundrum here in Philadelphia with the Sixers fan base. They don't know which way they want to go. They don't want to be too high on them because they know they can't go nowhere because they think they're just a team stuck in the middle. And they don't want to be too low on them because this is is a good team, but it's not a team that you can say, well, we're going to contend for a title every year. Yeah, and uh, who do you look to see? Who, first of all, uh, you know, it, it, I think it's the kind of the landscape has changed. Who is the Sixers' biggest rival now, and who do they have to keep out of jumping over them in their division? Their biggest rival right now, I would, I would say. Probably Boston or Miami because it just seems like the Sixers just have some with Miami and they just have some with Boston and Boston series. And I think this year in the division, they're going to have to watch out for the Knicks and definitely the Nets. The Nets to the totally whole rebuild, getting Deron Williams, Joe Johnson. You now got Brooke Lopez re-signed. You got Gerald Wallace in that in the starting lineup. You got Teletovic in the front court too, who they who was their who they signed to out of well. He's an international player, so they're going to be a tough team to watch out for. So the Sixers have to keep the likes of New Jersey and the Knicks behind them. It won't be easy to keep both of those teams out because both of them teams have high power offense, and they also have one thing the Sixers don't, and that and that is a superstar. Yeah, yeah, no superstar that really hurts and. Uh... And, uh, well, it's, it's going to be a great year. Uh, you, we're going to play 82 games this year. 
so it's going to be a lot of fun to watch things. Uh, and, and Jovan, before we go any further, uh, to, you know, tell tell our listeners a little bit about uh, you're doing some writing, you're covering the Sixers, and and also how they can get a hold of you on Twitter. We're not done with the show yet, but we want to throw that in right now, and then we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about the Blazers because I know you got some questions for me. Oh, definitely. Um. Yeah, um, so I got a lot of writing opportunities this summer concerning the Sixers. So I'm a staff writer for the Sixers Sense. That's the SixerSense.com. I'm a staff writer for them talking Sixers. And I'm also a Sixers writer and college basketball writer for the local, for the local teams here on BuzzOnBroad.com as well. And I'm still doing some writing for my own site as well, toolsforslob.com. And you can follow me on Twitter for all Sixer and NBA college basketball updates for here in the city. I'm pretty much open. And give that all- Twitter handle. Oh, it's at Jovan10. That's at J-O-V-A-N-1-0. Jovan10. I might change it, but right, right now that's what it is. Yeah, don't change that. I have, you know, when I'm 62, I have trouble memorizing stuff, so don't do that to me. (laughs) Okay, let's move out west now and give me your questions you got on the Blazers. Well, for the Blazers, I heard Damian Lillard, who we've talked about many times out of Weaver State, the guy we all drafted with the six-pick overall, I heard he's made big-time waves in the summer league, do you think that Lillard can be a big-time player this season for the Blazers without Raymond Felton being there now? Yeah, I don't think there's any question, Jovan, that this kid's going to become, you know, big-time player in the NBA, you know, potentially a superstar, uh, barring injuries. Uh, he is so good, and, you know, he can do it all. And the, one of the big knocks on him, was that, you know, he didn't play against competition at Weber State because that's the big sky, and it's not one of the uh, premier leagues in Division One basketball. But I think he proved a lot of people that that's a fallacy because the big sky isn't that bad, and also the fact that he was the MVP of the summer league uh, that was just completed in Las Vegas. He can also pass the basketball. So I, I think he's going to start right away, and he's going to be the point guard, uh, in my opinion. You know, they, they have Ronnie Price, but I, I think, you know, when they look at the two of those players, uh, there's no way that uh, Lillard's not going to start, in my mind. Right. Um, about Myers Leonard, not a lot of people know about this big man who came out of Illinois. Do you see that as a possible a possible mad, a possible front court lineup with him and with him and Lamarcus Aldridge. Yeah, I do. I was, you know, kind of been looking at that this past week, and, and you know, the Blazers really. Um, now you could say Jared Jeffries, who's six eleven, two forty, out of Indiana, uh, can swing in there at center position, but really Myers Leonard is the only probably true center on the roster. Now they may change that this summer somehow, but uh, he's 20 years old. Uh, he's uh, about seven foot, uh, going about 250. Uh, one thing that impressed people is that he's not afraid to mix it up like he did in the summer league, bounce a few people around. He's got some pretty good interior offensive moves. Now, will he be able to block some shots, plug up the middle, 
be able to pass the ball, as you alluded to, playing alongside LaMarcus Aldridge, who probably will have to play a little bit of center this season as well. Uh, so there's a lot of question marks there in that center position. And I'm sure you don't want to burn Leonard out early, so he's, they're probably going to limit his minutes. Um, it's a team that's hurting at the center position, it appears right now, but Myers Leonard might surprise a lot of people. And I also, uh, Jovan, like players that have played the Big Ten because they usually are playing before capacity crowds. Uh, every year the Big Ten leads Division One in average home attendance figures. I think they've done that like 10 straight years. So he's used to being intimidated and playing before big crowds. That's going to help him in the NBA. I, I, I agree because the Big Ten are playing against quality competition every every week when Kaufman played to start to Myers Leonard. He played against like a Jared Sullinger and all the other the the center out of the center out of Indiana, Zeller. He played against him and Draymond Green out of Michigan State, so he played against a lot of tough competition. And yeah, that's a really good point, he sure did. And my last question about question about the Blazers is when I know I heard that I heard that y'all resigned. I mean, the Blazers resigned Nicholas Batum. Was that a big signing that needed to happen, or could he just had a went left and y'all would have been okay with it? Uh, you know, I think the feelings are probably about seventy people would wouldn't have been mad if he would have left. Thirty wanted to keep him. I mean, he's been real inconsistent in his career. Uh, he's definitely not worth the money that he's going to be making anywhere from ten or eleven million to twelve million in my mind. But they got in a real box there when Minnesota signed him as a restricted uh, free agent, gave him a big contract, and and Portland kind of right away announced that they would they would not let Batum go, that they were going to re-sign him. They did. Uh, I think he's going to start for the team, obviously, making that kind of money. And and one thing, they did bring back uh, J.J. Hickson, who they picked up last year in kind of the middle of the year, and uh, he's going to help them a lot, too. I, I think that uh, that he's a pretty good player, and in the right system he can play pretty good. But the big question here, Kovan, is uh, that who's going to be the coach? And That'll probably be named this week, and nobody really knows for sure. Is it going to be Caleb Canales, or are they going to bring in somebody like a Terry Stotts who's in the Final Four? Uh, they just don't know. The players are really lobbying for Caleb Canales, so we'll see what happens. It's going to be really interesting. I, I actually had that on my, my mind. I, was, I actually had last question about the Blazers coach position. Have you heard any latest updates on that? Well, I you know I haven't I um, I, I I don't know uh, what's going to happen. I I know that they really wanted David Fisdale, the assistant coach down in Miami, that's kind of been the guy on that that coaching staff that's worked the most with LeBron James of all the assistants. They wanted Fisdale. They interviewed him. One of the first candidates they interviewed him. He decided to stick with uh, Eric Spolstra and that coaching staff and kind of backed out of consideration. So you don't hear too much. I 
think everybody's just kind of saying, you know, this team, it seems like typical Blazers. You, you either got injuries, uh, which they've been decimated by with Brandon Roy and Greg Oden, or you've got, um, you, you've got uh, coaching changes, uh, you've got front office, you don't have a president in place. So I think everybody's just kind of getting numbed by all this and, when it happens, it happens. But they should name the coach this week. And don't bet against Caleb Canales, even though some people are thinking he's now might. They might send him down to coach the D League team, Idaho Stampede, and really get some seasoning. But uh, it's going to be a really big decision because, as everyone in Philadelphia and the East Coast knows, it's the only game in town here. So uh, every move the Blazers make is scrutinized, followed like you wouldn't believe. Agreed, agreed. And since you did bring up a college coach and you bought the possible Blazers head coaching position, let's transfer to something that we talked about, which is college basketball and some rule changes, which you think should definitely be made. Yeah, uh, I have gone over in the past in my uh, Crawford's Court column, which everybody can read, uh, at csnnw.com, that's csnnw.com. Uh, over the past few months, I have suggested many changes uh, to the college game, but uh, the number one, and I want to ask you what you think because you got a really bright basketball mind. Here's my number one thing. College attendance keeps slipping. By no means is it in dire straits, but it keeps slipping. So the first thing I would do to bring back fans and little guys and and little people and all that stuff, I would bring allow pregame dunking back. What do you think about that? I I like that pregame dunking. I I like that because I, I have a style I call a lot of basketball games. And the thing is, like pregame, like the pregame is just so boring. You can't touch the rim and you can't be dunking. But I remember when I was at the 18 first round game and we hosted at LaSalle since LaSalle played Richmond. Richmond was having a whole dunk contest and it actually like had people entertained that was already there. So I think they should bring it back because you, you keep people in the seats and not like wait letting them wait outside until the game starts or, or 10 minutes before it starts. I think pregame dunking should be brought back. It probably will bring in more attendance. Great point you made there towards it because – it would bring people to the arenas earlier. You'd sell more concessions. You'd get them in there. You'd get more of an atmosphere generated. I think that's the way to go. My second thing that I'm really big on is that timeout structure in college basketball is so messed up. The game is so fouled up because of the goofy timeouts. There's too many timeouts in the game. And so my suggestion Everybody wants to get the media timeouts in. You and I are both in the media. Okay, then just have a timeout under 16, under 12, under 8, and under 4. One timeout in that period. It's no team timeout. And then each team gets one 30-second timeout in the first half and two 30-seconds in the second half. Rather than all these timeouts, which just break the momentum, and it really is bad for fans and viewers on TV. 
I agree. I remember calling, as I said, call a lot of basketball games, and you and the team would just call a time, a thirty second, quick thirty second timeout. So you go and break real quick because you're going three second timeout, and then the referees come out of nowhere, and we're on a, a media timeout. So it was like we just waste the team just wasted the timeout, even though a media timeout came right afterwards. So now you're you basically just wasted two timeouts basically because there is. N- because you because you basically use two timeouts back to back, which I think isn't which isn't good because that makes you lose interest and it gets and it gets frustrating after a while because you got to keep on like saying all right this is a timeout then here's the media timeout then a couple minutes later then another team called out and it just makes the game slower. Fans don't want it to be slower; they want it to be faster. Yeah, I I think there's no question. I think we got to pick up the game and that leads me into my next suggestion instead of a 35 second clock let's take it down to 29 seconds that still gives teams that want to slow the ball down enough time to get off a shot but 35 seconds is ridiculous we i think there was a couple college games last year where teams scored in the teens if i'm not mistaken and and that's that's just not basketball it's 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 got it speed up the game as you alluded to. So, um, what do you think about the twenty nine? I'm kind of going off the same. The NBA's twenty four, so make it an odd number. Make it twenty nine seconds. I I would bring it. I would bring the shot clock down to thirty five seconds because sometimes college basketball players just be taking too much time with bringing with bringing the. With bringing the ball up, and they have 35 seconds left, and they're and they're shooting. Sometimes these players get the shot up with 21, 20, 21 to 25 seconds left in the shot clock. So you didn't really use the shot clock as you needed to. I would even propose to bring it down to 24, actually, just like the regular NBA, just bring it down to 24 because that puts more pressure on them to not waste time and actually push the ball and play at the game speed, not taking 35 seconds. Then you shoot the ball at the 20 seconds left in the shot clock. So I would even go lower and go 24. Okay, very good. I, I guess the reason that I I never have gone down much lower is, as you know, the, the NCAA never likes to admit that they copied something the NBA did. They they want to make it themselves. So, but I would agree. Twenty-four is fine. That would that would just really help the game uh, immensely. Uh, my next rule that I would like to see changed is how many times do you see the defense play great, uh, uh, great defense in the backcourt, and uh, a team um, uh, then is able to call timeout with the 10-second clocks going. They're up to eight. They can call timeout. They come back on, and they get a they get a new 10-second count in the backcourt. What I'm advocating is nobody can call timeout on the offensive team in the backcourt. you got to be in the front court to call timeout. Just wipe out the chance to call a timeout. Yeah, I agree. I I agree with that one as well. You you see it a lot of times when they throw the ball in the backcourt, call a timeout, at least advance the ball over the timeline. That's the least you can do before calling a timeout because you're just trying to set yourself up for a good shot. Which don't get me wrong, that's all good and well, but at least advance the ball up the timeline so you can so you can at least set it up in the half court in the half court set offense. 
Yeah, absolutely. Just um, you know, that that just seems to me like uh, that should be you know an automatic and and along with that, I don't think that uh, of course with my rule change on the timeout, you know, it definitely wouldn't happen. But you know, coaches should not be able to call timeout in my opinion. Uh, let the players do it on the floor. And my final one that I'll go into tonight is a really controversial one that we see every year. A team doesn't have timeouts left, and uh, they call a timeout. They get assessed a technical foul. Uh, in my opinion, that penalty is just too harsh. Uh, just play on. Just ignore it. Uh, I realize that sounds like a little bit, you know, way out there, but I just ignore that. It, it, the penalty is just too severe for somebody trying to call an extra timeout. Now, you might disagree, but fire away, Jovan. Yeah, that's, that's like that's like the Chris that's like the Chris Webber rule when he did that back in the yeah. final, four. and that was just so hard because he didn't know he thought there was he had a timeout, and then he called the timeout, and it's like you don't. You don't have time. You don't have the time. You don't have the time out, so you get penalized. And you get penalized, and sometimes that can cost you a game, or you saw in the Final Four that year, cost you a championship. And that shouldn't happen to kids because they're still, even though they're college best players, they're still kids at heart that still want to play the game. And you can't take that opportunity away from them saying, well, you called a timeout. This is for you not remembering. It's not their job to remember that there's a timeout. Technically, their job is to play basketball on the court. So you can't penalize these kids for doing that because they're playing the game. They're getting emo- They're putting all their emotion and heart into it. You can't do that by taking them away like that. Yes, I totally agree. I very well said. You said it better than I can. And I've got to throw one other in that uh, is real controversial as well always. I'd bring back the jump ball. Uh, you know, it's nonsense that the officials can't throw the ball up correctly. They can throw the ball up correctly. Now, uh, and if they don't, you get rid of the officials. It should be part of their training and part of observing and, and whether they do it properly or not. But uh, I'm all for bringing back the jump ball. I hate the alternate possession. Uh, and and it's, it's about time we went back to some of the outstanding rules that we had in the 70s, like being able to dunk in the pregame and uh, bring back the jump ball. How about that? I would like to see the jump ball back, too, because sometimes when you're on radio or just looking at a college game, you're just trying to figure out, well, who the possession arrow goes to, who who gets possession. And I think that turns that turns a lot of bas- that turns a lot of basketball fans off, which is which is scary. It turns I mean, that that turns a lot of college people that like basketball turns away from college basketball because they don't understand the possession arrow. And many people won't understand it because they're not used to that. Many people are used to the whole college basketball jump ball situation. Yeah, no question about it. And, and, um, and uh, you know, I, I think we've had a good discussion on the rules tonight. Uh, and maybe uh, eventually they uh, will come together and change it. I doubt it because a lot of people on the rules committee don't understand basketball. Uh, they just think that we're putting, you know, they're putting stuff in there and they're doing all the right things. But if they don't shake up the game, they're in danger of losing a whole generation of fans, and they got to do something about it. they got to make the game quicker, as you uh, brought up, and they got to do a lot of stuff that 
that intrigues fans and brings them into the arenas. And in the live gate, attendance was down for the fifth straight year overall in NCAA Division One basketball. They got to turn that around. If it keeps going, they're going to be in trouble. We're going to be in very big trouble. And we have about three to two minutes left on this show. It's been a great show talking about Sixers and a lot of college basketball royal talk. Before we get off the air, let's talk about the talk about the Olympics. The Olympics, the US, USA team was in action tonight versus, I mean, not tonight, this morning, actually, 9.30 here on the East Coast in the morning. They were in action tonight taking on France. And our friend, you could say, of our of the East-West Hoopsley show, his son, Kevin Love, had 14 points today. Yeah, he was wearing his uh, his shoes too, his new shoes that he's promoting, and uh, and he had a really good game. And um, you know, Jovan, unfortunately, uh, some sad news. His dad uh, is in uh, Stan was headed for Olympics, but he's in the hospital here in Portland, uh, and he's going to have some surgery done, and wasn't able to go so unexpectedly. So. Uh, kind of a tough thing for the Love family, but maybe it inspired Kevin, and I think Stan's going to be all right, hopefully. But what a shame. His son may never be in the Olympics again, and he's going to have to miss it. Yeah. Wow, that's very that's sad. That's very sad news. Yeah, all prayers yeah no question. Prayers about the yeah. Stan Love. That's sad news. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, what are we going to do next week? We're going to come up with something great, right, as usual. I love the show tonight. It went fast-paced. Uh, it was really good. And uh, and you have a new title now, too. You're coming on board in about a half an hour. You're the executive producer of the CO Golf Show on Blog Talk Radio. So congratulations to that. Yep. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be on the CO Golf Show, which is in 30 minutes after this. Right here on Blog Talk Radio, this is me, Joe Van Offer with Greg Crawford, and we will see you next week. But make sure to tune in in 30 minutes for the CO Golf Show. Thank you. Go on.